So welcome back to Diaries of the Wild Ones. Once again, a huge thank you to Wild Earth Australia for supporting me in the adventurous lifestyle. If you guys need any gear for your next adventure, running, camping, climbing, hiking, you guys name it, these guys have it. So go to wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. Also, a huge thank you to Free Brewing Co., organic preservative-free beer. You'll find them at Dan Murphy's and BWS. Big black can, silver letters that say free. Organic preservative-free beer. It's a no-brainer. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so do you guys want an episode that just ignites the imagination? This is it. This episode I've been holding off for two years. And I don't know why. I've had it ready and edited to put out, but I've just been waiting. I wanted to do it justice. Steve that you're about to meet is probably one of the most influential people I've ever met in my life. This guy is a genius. He is one of the most switched on guys I've ever met. A logistical genius. An entrepreneur that runs a production expedition company who dreams of wild places and wants to play in it. He speaks so real, straight to the point. He says it how it is. Now, I kind of wish for this episode I didn't talk about my adventure in Iceland because I did a separate episode on that. I wish I just got more and more stories out of Steve and and not talked about myself. Steve is the guy who helped me play in the mountains, who taught me all is possible. I think about Steve all the time. I think about what this guy has taught me. And if it wasn't for COVID, I'd be right there, right now, hanging and playing in nature with him in Iceland. When I got stranded overseas with COVID, he was ready to take me in and look after me. But not only look after me, he had the coolest plan to run to the north and hide out on a farm and play in the mountains and go find find and surf waves that have never been surfed before. It's just inspiring because he's a guy that just finds solutions to problems. So just wait till he tells some of his stories, especially this story right at the end of this episode, falling into the water on the snowmobiles and getting frozen in. It's so, it's just so fucked up trying to picture this, trying to picture this climate so, so far north. I'll put some photos up on the website so you guys can have a look. It's just wild. So if you don't know the backstory, there is a podcast I did called Surviving the Arctic Mountains, and it's my story of crossing some mountain ranges in Iceland solo. And this podcast was recorded in Steve's office at the Empire Expeditions headquarters in the north of Iceland in a little village called Siglafurda. So this is a story in the middle of the training and learning I was doing for that expedition. And we also get some insane story time off Steve and just sharing his knowledge of the mountains. A place that being a surfer from the east coast of Australia, I just find myself way, way out of my comfort zone. I needed to put this episode out right now because it just speaks to me. These times have slowed me down, even though I've been doing so many cool trips here in Australia. But in Australia, I'm just in my comfort zone here in nature and my feet are getting itchy for a challenge. And looking back at things I've done in the past reminds me how strong I can be. And it's like I needed that reminder. I needed this for a kick in the ass to keep my dreams alive to think like Steve, to get back to challenging myself, to find that strength again. Enjoy, guys. (laughs) Here I am telling a father not to answer their phone. No, no, dude, you can do whatever you want. Okay, but this is... Okay, this is the wild thing, right? 
Should we start? I'm ready. Okay, you ready? Okay, let's start. Play off my keys. <laughs> okay. So, Steve from Empire Expeditions. I suppose we'll start with just... Actually, I don't actually know. I was just saying before, like, I don't actually know what your company actually does. This is what trips me out. It's like you're an expedition company and you're a production company. Sure. And I kind of understand how those two tie in, but I don't understand how it came to be or what you actually really do. That's what trips me out because... That's why we don't get many customers. (laughs) It's It's a confusing website. What is the Empire Expeditions? It's uh, started off as a Arctic logistics company from Svalbard, Spitsbergen, and mostly focused in uh, like the outdoor industry or the ski and snowboard industry, and taking people to the mountains in Svalbard. And it became apparent that it was pretty boring to be a tour guide, so just taking tourists out. Where is Svalbard? Svalbard is Svalbard. archipelago of islands at 78 degrees, or like it's between, I think, 76 and 80 degrees north. And the uh, main town is Longyearbyen, 78 degrees north. It's like very cold. Yeah. This just trips me out. How do you come from Oxford, like English, England, Oxford, to being an Arctic guide, an expedition guide? This is what trips me out. This is that everything about you actually I just don't understand. <laughs> that's fine. Actually, that's probably a good place to start. How are you you? <laughs> this might be like someone said to me today. Was that you that said to me like maybe I'm going to become a mountaineer? It's like maybe that's going to be my No, that call. wasn't me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that actually wasn't me. I'm probably far from it. But it's like someone said like to me maybe that's my next calling. And then when they said that I thought about you. I was like thinking well, like, you're so far out of where you came from. Like, right now you're living in the north of Iceland. You have an expedition company. You're from England, from Oxford. It's all, maybe it all starts with the the addiction to skateboarding, you know. And these cultures, I think, they follow each other, you know, the skateboarding and the snowboarding and the surfing. So it became, like, pretty apparent when I was 17, 18 that I liked to surf. And then I order a hat from uh, Blue Tomato. This is, and I didn't know what it is, so I just want this hat to look cool, you know. So I order the hat, and comes in the post, and there's a little, like, ticket in there that says, Surf Camp Bali, 300 euros a week. I was like, shit, I have 300 euros. I have 900 euros, I can go for three weeks. I was like, so I booked for three weeks and just pay to go there. Two years in a row, or like the first year I go there, and the second year I go by myself and just be there. You follow these things, you know, and it just comes from a hat, from an advertisement, and you go, and then in Indonesia you meet somebody and you move to Austria because it's like, okay, you met that person, so you follow to meet that person, and you go to Austria, and then you think about being a dishwasher a lot, you know, <laughs> jobs to get you by. Sure. Call it being an underwater ceramics engineer. Like, if you need to, like, present yourself. See, there's your entrepreneurial spark coming out, isn't sure. it? This is the spark I've been seeing all week. You can make the shittest thing great. <laughs> Talking it up. I think it's good. And then, like, from there, you know, I get attracted to Sweden. And I go to Sweden, just, like, move there. 
and it's just following like what you want to do and then Sweden pushed me out in a way because it had no job opportunity for people that didn't speak Swedish even like the funny thing about being like I guess definitely privileged that you don't have uh, like the people who came to Sweden who were underprivileged like or came from like countries outside the EU for instance had to learn the Swedish course that was paid by the government but if you come from UK you just go there and they give you a work permit but they don't give you free language lessons at that time yeah 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 I don't know if they do now and so like even like being I was trying to be like a bootlicker you know anything to make money I'd do anything and it's like do you speak Swedish I was like no it's like you couldn't get a job you couldn't get a job washing dishes doing anything finally get a job somewhere like cooking in the kitchen it's the worst thing ever and I do like f four weeks cooking in the kitchen I guess and then in another place two months cooking in the kitchen unpaid and I'm just like fuck this and I sell all my stuff sell my snowboard an Australian guy buys my snowboard a good friend of mine from a snowboard season and he says why don't you come to Norway why don't you come here and just deliver it from Sweden to Norway because it costs less than the post you know yeah. So just take the bus. And I went up to Oslo and it's the friggin' best weekend I ever had in my life. Like five days of just full fun life. Everyone seems to have money. Everyone's out in the streets. You know, people are drinking. People are celebrating. People are going to restaurants. People are working. You know, it's like you, you see like the restaurants are rammed, 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 rammed. So it's like you walk in any restaurant. I got five jobs in one day. And the last three months I had no work. I was like crazy I'm moving here so five days later I moved there to Oslo I lived there I don't know one and a half years two years and one time I see in my kitchen somebody shows a map and they say like I was like what is that place where is that and he said oh it is in uh, Norway <laughs> and I was like where in Norway is that that is not Norway oh and I had a world map in my room took him to took him to the world map actually because I didn't even believe it was in Norway and then he points up like up to the very top of the map this is Norway and you can see here this is Svalbard Svalbard when I first flew over Svalbard I felt like for the first time ever I find a sense of home you know yeah right and I look at this land that's just like infinite mountains 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 and just no trees and just beautiful you know like this landscapes is absolutely incredible and you look down there and you think oh, it has 2,000 people and 3,000 bears it's an interesting island you know yeah. and it's the size of Great Britain so like you see if you have a curious personality like there's many things that you that's ask about this place that's polar bears that's polar bears yeah and then they have many like the town is so welcoming to you because you are new and they almost crave fresh blood they you want know, you to in stay the, in the social <laughs> scene there yeah. There's like 10 bars, 10 restaurants. You can drink as much as you like, party as much as you like. It's the, by far the drunkest place I've ever been in my life. Really? Yeah, and I've re been to really drunk places. <laughs> <laughs> it's mental, you know? Yeah. And going to Svalbard is like captivating, you know? And I do an Arctic guide course in Svalbard. Like, I'm just like, well, am I going to... At one point in there, I went to university in London to the uh, computer science university like course in the city of London University and they're like you have to do this stuff 
and I did it and I get good grades. I'm living in a shithole. I'm living <coughs> split with 12 people to a kitchen and a toilet. And I had already been living in Indonesia and seeing like what like freedom was like. Yeah. Once you get a taste of it, that's the and thing. And I was like, hard. I was like, if we can get 20, 25,000 pounds, maybe 35,000 pounds a year for doing this. And then I'm going to slowly climb my way up. It seemed dumb. And like after three months, I just quit that. Like, and it's super cliche and I'm, I l- become to like cliches actually now yeah. because cliches are true. And yeah. it's like, I watch uh, some, <coughs> I think she was Iranian. Some Iranian girl tells me to watch a movie. She's who's on my course. It's like, Hey, yeah, this, this movie will suit you. You should watch it. I was like, okay, I watch it. And it's just friggin' into the wild. Oh, that's what I was about to say. And it's, it's, reti- <laughs> it's retarded, you know, it's super cliche, uh-huh. you know, but I present it as a cliche and First of all, I'm thinking like, where the fuck is my money to burn? Yeah. We we talked about this um, into the wild. This yeah. this this movie's been brought up all this week to me. <laughs> I suppose we'll go into that soon, but but continue, continue. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And uh, I just was like, I need to burn my money and move back to Sweden <laughs> and go and do something. I want to be surrounded by trees and nature. And it was funny, like, then got a little, like, bug when we lived in, like, Norway, because Norway is, like, endless nature. I remember the first time I saw endless nature, it was in, like, a ski resort in uh, Norway. And you look out one direction from there, and it's just, like, absolutely everywhere you look, it's just mountains, trees. So it has trees. What you would call... And then, like, Norway, not not Svalbard. Norway has, like, friggin'... I'm missing trees. It has so many trees, man. That's something that's really hard being in Iceland or being in the Arctic, not having the trees, just the barrenness and this open landscape and it's so harsh and the wind just funneling through. Sure. And it's like, it's like hard for the psyche, for myself anyway. Um, Carrie was saying like she rathers that, that she likes it. She likes the openness and like the freedom that this landscape has. But for me, like, it's like I'm really missing that, those trees. Like I, I, I don't know how people do it. Like there is no trees in Iceland. There are some trees. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple <laughs> of little plantations. And they say, like, you know, what do you do if you get lost in Icelandic forest? What? You stand up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. Anyway, I live in Svalbard six winters and three years, like three years total, like solid, and then and then three years, six months, Iceland, six months, Svalbard. And I had jobs, offers in like Alaska and Antarctica and Norway because I had done the Arctic guiding course and worked in Arctic guiding, you know. So Arctic guiding, you're just what, guiding people through the Arctic? Is that like paying exactly. tourists? Tourists come and what, you're, you're on the snowmobiles and you're taking them snowboarding? This or is like... when we get the, the logistics, you know. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because then this is why the company comes because I work in Svalbard, not at a... Uh, yeah, I work at many tourism operations, so I know how to do that. My course is full of tourism operations, but I work at a production company in Svalbard. Yeah, right. So so then what did you decide to just break away and just do your own thing and just do sure. it in Iceland? Sure. Why did you choose Iceland? Because it had glaciers and culture. Yeah, right. Because you can be in like a super good concert in Reykjavik and two hours later you can be on a pretty good glacier. Yeah. This is. This is what... What I'm trying to, this is what I'm having trouble explaining to people, um, especially back home, is the environment here in Iceland, like well, this harshness. What's and the question they ask? 
If you don't like the weather in Iceland, wait five minutes. Yeah. What about it? Yeah. Sure. Well, this is the thing. Okay, so up in Swal- Swalberg. Am I saying that right? No. <laughs> uh, up, so it means it means cold shores, Svalbard. Svalbard. Well, up in you're so inside the Arctic Circle, so isn't that more of a stable climate where Iceland's like right on the border and just under the Arctic? Absolutely. Circle? This is way worse here. So why is it so bad? Like I've been trying to explain to people at home the weather here, how it's unpredictable. Like as in any day, like today, this I've never seen winds like this before in Australia. Like. <laughs> This is... <laughs> no, it's not windy today. But the... You don't have Gulf Stream, you know. We have the Gulf Stream coming from the Gulf of Mexico that goes all the way up to, like, the North Pole, pretty much. But obviously, if there's sea ice, it doesn't go there. But it goes very far up to Svalbard. Yeah. So, like, this constant pattern of weather going up, it's... It's big weather systems, it's Atlantic weather systems, North Atlantic storms, so it's traveling from tropical to colder climates, and Iceland is right on that border between uh, hot and cold, so it's increasing, you know, the potential of these storms in a way if you have warm weather coming in, cold air on a glacier, or cold air around mountains, and, you know, warm weather playing with this as well. Yeah. It's... We get bad northerly storms here, but I think the worst is the southerly storms for sure in the southeast of Iceland. And this is why you have all the glaciers, for instance, all on the south coast apart from one glacier, because this is the biggest amount of precipitation coming. Yeah, right. The biggest amount of snowfall is used to be actually on the south. Now it's too hot. So it's raining a lot on the south all the time of Iceland, but it's the biggest glaciers by far. It's gigantic glaciers. It's 11% of Iceland. Vatnjökull, the largest glacier. Yeah, right. And that's the officially the largest glacier in Europe, although the Nordauslandet in Svalbard is, the, is different but bigger, and it's not really Europe in a way. What, how come the, why is the weather so unpredictable? Like why? Yeah, because what, the weather why it changes just like because that? of the heat exchange between the air. Yeah, right. When, when I when I look at the weather maps, like when we're checking the surf, I've never seen so many systems so close together interacting with one another. Like when you look at those weather maps around Iceland, there's like systems in the south, the southwest, the northwest, the northeast. Like every side, they're just like circling around, and, and they're all well. There's so much swell here. There's sure. like so many weather systems and it's like when you're out here and I think that must be like, does that make your job hard being an expedition guide? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're an expedition guide, then I think you feel like you need purpose in a way. Yeah. And you're probably quite a practical person in, in a sense. You feel like you have a lot of common sense and you are also good under stress or pressure. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so there's really like hurricane winds. Yeah. Well, that's not a problem. So, but you have to really think about things, you know, like, okay, that piece of the roof could blow off or maybe I should wear a helmet or maybe it's uh, like good to always cover all your skin so you don't get some frostbite on something. Like, but when you know these like tips or tricks or things, yeah. it's quite comfortable being an arctic guide i think yeah i think you learn fast here because the consequences are so harsh it's like even even surfing like on a nice day just like putting your board bag down next to your car and then going surfing it's like 
anything like that it's like a big no-no because that weather can change just like that and you're going to lose everything that's a, it depends whether you're like playing a game of risk you know yeah yeah speaking of which this is kind of how I've, how i met you I, that's something that i really well we had to bring it up so so when i first got to iceland it was actually pretty funny when i first got here i got straight off the plane went straight to Haydar Logie's place and he picked me up and took me surfing straight down at Grendavik which is in the south and I still I hadn't slept off the plane and as soon as we finished surfing there we scored pumping waves we jumped straight in the car and he's like we're packing it we're going to the north and we drove all the way through the night and it was a full moon and as we came up this last kind of two hours before you get to Sigurdfjord where we are that that moon just shone shined on these mountains and it was weird. I was like in a bit of a weird state because I was like heightened with like excitement. I hadn't slept at all. And I was suddenly in this weird barren country in the Arctic, like well, just under the Arctic. And I've never seen anything like it. So I was just looking at these mountains and my curiosity started getting the best of me. And I just remember I turned to Hader and I was like, does anyone ever walk across these mountains? <laughs> and he looked at me and he's like... No. <laughs> but then he's like, yeah, but the Vikings used to. He's like, in winter, they used to, if they ran out of food, they'll cross the mountains to get to other villages to get food for their family. Whether if that's a fact or not a fact, I'm not too sure. But I don't know. Then I just, I don't know, I just got stuck staring at these mountains. So I ended up just saying, like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to walk across these mountains. And it was so funny, like, now how much I've learned from you just in the last week compared to what I knew, like, so this idea has been in my, my head for the last month. And in my head, I was like, well, I'll just learn how to build a snow cave. I'll just dig a hole in it. I won't take a tent. The clothes that I had, I thought would be sufficient. I'll just add on layers. And I thought I'd just walk across these mountains. And so I've been searching for a way to do it. And I've been searching for someone to try and like, give me someone for the, like, with the information to do it. And that's where your name came up. And so as soon as I walked in here and met you, it was like, suddenly I realized I was a little bit over my head. I don't even know how to put this. It's like, does this happen much? I know, I know you said you met like that one Rowan guy or whatever. No, no, it doesn't. Like, no, it actually, it really, really doesn't happen much. That's why I'm not, that's why I'm more, it makes me more curious more than anything. Like, if you're surfing, pumping barrels at Grindavik, I am not worried about you out there. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you were coming here and you were pale, you had, you know, not got a lot of sleep the night before, you looked like you were jittery, I don't know. Like, yeah. you're a super fit guy who can, like... Take a beating, basically. So, this is fine. Like, I think it suits you to do this, and all you want to do is learn the the basics. Yeah. And you say you want to challenge yourself, so it's like, okay, that's yeah. fine. And and it's like, I think there's a very fine line between like being super stupid and challenging yourself, and I think that to like say like for instance like i'm gonna go and do this with no food and go foraging i think i would do that after like six months of research on plants maybe yeah like 
then you could really like go and do that mission. But inside the time constraints that you have, I think it's really wise in a way to say like, okay, I will take food, you know, to, uh, but you know, I won't take a tent because there is actually no need to take a tent. The snow covers, you know, it's comfortable enough and it's very windproof, but there's other discomforts with it as well. And it's very time consuming. And it you know. burns so many calories. This burns, is yeah, it burns a lot of calories, but you can, if you have time and you don't have that far to go, then it's okay. Like, this was a trip out before I met you. So I went into this. I went into a tour guide company down in um, Reykjavik. And I walked inside and I was like, oh, hey. What was it called? Jerry Adventures? I think it's called What's On. What is on, yeah. What is on. And I walked in, I, I spoke to her. Her name was Victoria. And I was like, oh, hey, I'm just... um Classic Icelandic name. Yeah. I was like, I'm wondering <laughs> if you have any hikes that you can do in winter, preferably in the north. And she's like, just looked at me and she's like, no, it's winter. And I was like, oh, is there any hiking guides that I can like talk to about any routes that I can I can find? And she's like, I, I'm not too sure like what you're getting at here. Like, no, it's like a winter. We don't. There's we'll no, have no a, one's hiking we'll have a in the winter. Yeah, a waterfall. That's exactly it. She and a gate. Like, and I was like, well, maybe are there any guides that I can talk to? I'm trying to find a route through the mountains. And she was like, um, we don't really get this. I've never had this asked to me. No, it is, it, <laughs> is, it, it is actually, it's extremely rare that somebody wants to do something relatively interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've really, I've really enjoyed, actually, what you've done is you've challenged me. So you've done this in a way that's like really challenged me and I really respected actually how you've done it. So first of all, thank you so much for giving me all the gear that I need. But sure. I really liked what you've said to me, like, as in like, I wanted. I thought I was going to come in and see you, and you were just going to like show me some maps of the mountains and say, oh, "I'll take this route." But like, you've just gone so far beyond that, and like, I didn't even realize that these mountains it isn't like there is a route through them. It's like we're literally like there's so many passes that you can take, and it's all dependent on what the weather is doing, or how much snow's fallen on each pass, or the certain areas. And so, like, using Google Maps and looking at this is just kind of like. That first day that you sent me out into the mountains, where you said, like, just go, like, scope the route, go for a hike, go have a look, practice with the gear. It was, like, the first day I was, like, I'm in way over my head here. I cannot do this. And then, like, we got to the top of that mountain, and it was just, like, and then we bought it down. It was just so much fun, just that feeling of accomplishment. Like, holy shit, like, I just climbed to the top of that mountain. Like, we just killed it, and then straight away you're, like, all right, go, like, Go, like, try scope your route. Like, go into the mountains, have a look. And then I went in, and that's when... That was actually one of the scariest moments of my life, to feel the snow. So I tried to, tried to go up a valley and then tried to go up one snow... The whole valley had a lot of snow dump, and I tried to go up one side of this mountain. And under me, a big warmth happened, like a massive warmth. And that's what scared the shit out of me. So that's, like, this whole avalanche awareness that you're trying to teach me and everything, that whole warmthing... Is that whole? This, what is that? Actually, you, you, yeah. Would you mind explaining that to me? Well, this can be caused from many things. Like, of course, it can be caused. Like, can be caused from a previous rain event or something. But it's instability in the snowpack. Basically, it can be caused from rain event. It can be caused from like a snowpack being warm and then they're cold, really, really cold, being out, and then it kind of sucks all the moisture out of the snow. And there's a very fine layer of crystals can form called surface hoar and then new snow can fall on that and you have this really brittle 
crystallized layer that can just like boom, and you hear this boom. And if that lets go, that yeah. Lets and the, the 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 problem is is then the whole area above it is all connected, and all these crystals are all connected in this one layer, exactly the same. So if one part of it falls, it's like uh, essentially like a domino effect, you know, yeah. on a relative scale. So it's then you get like a whole side of a mountain that can go. And even if you have like, I don't know, three centimeters, four centimeters of snow on top of that, that's still like, if you have four centimeters by like 700 meters by 700 meters, it's a lot of snow. Yeah. You know? A lot of, a lot of cubic meters of snow. So there's a lot of things to think about. And it's like, not powdery snow <laughs> falling down either, is it? Like it's no, it's very rare that it's powdery snow. I don't know. Usually, you know, you're not going to get like giant loaded faces because it snows with such force in a way of course you get giant loaded faces but it snows with wind so everything packs so the wind kind of funnels and packs these big parts of the face or these mounds or these like areas that you can see that the the wind has fallen from you know knowing the direction of the storm and also knowing how these things look and you just know it's t if it's too loaded with snow you just look at it and if it's fallen with wind then it's a process called sintering you know where the one snowflake hits into the other snowflake and it connects to the other instead of falling like a leaf and settling instead it's been forced into the next one and because it's just you know a fine crystalline structure then it's going to go in and it will connect to the next one and if you connect all of these snowflakes with wind then you form slabs and yeah. slabs is basically what you are trying to avoid yeah i even noticed the other day, the other night when you sent me out to um sent me out into the middle of the mountains to camp out for the night and i built the snow cave i was i was so surprised with how the structure of the snow changes so quickly so like just moving a block, like cutting out a block of snow and putting it on another bit of snow and then you come back to that 10 minutes later and the block has moulded into the rest of the snow. Like it's become part of that. Like as soon as you've condensed that down or if you squash that snow together, it just kind of ends up sticking like glue after a little bit. Yeah. What would you say the biggest risks are in these mountains? Would you say it's the avalanches? For me, I think it would be, yeah. What about the wind? Yeah, the second. The second. Wind is manageable. Wind comes, you know, and if it's extremely strong, you seek shelter and you wait, you know. Yeah. But with the avalanche, you have to travel. So, like, you know, you are putting yourself in a position of traveling through mountains and you have to travel sometimes in, like, potential avalanche terrain or, like, you know, whether it's for fun or whether it's for exploration or whether it's for challenge. You know, you end up in this place and something seems tempting or or you have a necessity to go across and you have to make a decision like whether it's a good idea to do it and whether you have the ability or also like yeah. i suppose a lot of the time you have to have courage but don't be stupid yeah so that's a fine line as well i'm very i'm pretty proud of myself this week a couple of times making the, the decision to turn back yeah it's like realizing like okay, this is not the right condition because you get three quarters of the way up a mountain and that wind changes or that wind picks up or the weather comes in and you're like... Turning back means that you're quick. it's quicker to the bar. Yeah. Think about it if you went two hours further. It's four hours <laughs> more than you're not at the bar. Yeah. 
Have you have you ever been in sticky situations like this? Yeah. What crazy situations have you been in? <laughs> okay, here it is. Just putting it out. That no, I don't know. I don't think that the situations I've been in, of course, was like... It's exactly the same thing as what you were going through now in a way. Like when you go up into that Wumfing area, you learn a life lesson in a way. Yeah. And I believe really that it's okay to make almost any mistake once, but do not make it twice. Yeah. You know? And... Of course, some environments present a lot of uh, consequence. Yeah. So, actually, something that becomes quite normal, you know, is very abstract to somebody else. That was the thing. That was when I was. This whole week has probably be probably been one of the most heightened adrenaline weeks of my life, and it's. I think it's just the unknowingness and like not having that that knowledge within me like everything's a learning curve right now so like hearing all that warmthing and not knowing exactly what to do not having any reception to be able to call anyone and just being out there by myself having to make these decisions where you like if you were out there with the experience you know you'd know how to read it a lot better and know like the severity of the situations or whatever me just any little sound i know was bad but now you have learned you know the only time like see like Many times I think I nearly died. No, like there's many times you feel like you nearly died, but there's only a few times where you nearly really died. Yeah. You know, like that just... And one of them was in... Uh, I was overtaking on a motorcycle in Indonesia, or like the, the bikes you have there. Yeah. And I overtook and it wasn't a good time to overtake and I saw this guy coming towards me and I just like went up against the bus, touching the bus... And he just went by and brushed me, like, very fast. Yeah. Especially in Indonesia, too. Like, when you make those mistakes, they don't get out of your road. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, that, so you got to commit. That, that was one of the times I thought I was going to die, mm. you know? Like, when I... when And, I, you know, you get off that bike with so much adrenaline. <laughs> one retarded time. This is... This is... Ertle, uh, my girlfriend she came to Svalbard with me after knowing me for three months and we moved up there in absolute dark season January 24 hour darkness it's 24 hour darkness up there four months so it's like stars at midday that's hard for the mind no it's fine I like it you can paint and play guitar and drink and (laughs) you can drink a lot as a human Mm. and actually satisfy a lot with drinking Mm. I think it's incredible and I said to her, like, you know, we just get a project and then we're going to get a snowmobile and then, you know, you'll see that this place is great, you know. Eventually it comes about, like, we score a project and I'm super stoked, like, holy shit, we get, like, a real project, like, movie project, like, 35,000 euros or something, like, seems big at the time. I'm like, that is awesome. And so go and buy, like, uh, maybe, like, like a pretty good snowmobile not actually it's a shit snowmobile but it's like a two person Torah Yamaha Venture light, you know so it hasn't got a big engine but it can put two people on it and it's like a 20 like a or like a 2008 so it's like not too old like you're not yeah. buying like a Polaris 
92 Indy 500, you know, you're buying like something that has a four-stroke engine and yeah, yeah. this was going to be like, okay, well, I can use this on this expedition, pull some sleds and I can show my girlfriend a nice time, you know, so I go to take it on test ride with her, take it on test ride and there's this one valley that I know that if you can drive up there, then you can drive on a plateau It's actually called uh, Plateau Filet, which means the Plateau Mountain. And then you go up another mountain, Nordenschultoppen, up there, and you can be at a thousand meters and see everything around, you know, it's really beautiful. And I think like, okay, I'm going to take her up there and just like show that Svalbard can be nice. And I said to actually my friends, I'm going to go up the Longyebrien, which is like the glacier, and just, you can see the back of the town from there, but it's very boring. Just drive up the glacier, very flat. 10 20 minutes to the back of the glacier yeah. and then you get up but this other one is like a bit more interesting like up a steep valley plateau and then you work your way up a mountain and you can just get up there so i take her up there and it was beautiful on the way halfway up and then we get to the top of the plateau and you can see everything it's super beautiful it's arctic pink light and everything is just wonderful And then go up to the top of, I want to go to the top of Nordenschild, but it's like in cloud. So I think, what's the point? You know, I'm going to drive up there in cloud. It's going to be difficult to see. And so I was like, see, it can be nice here in this Arctic island with 2,000 people and bears and 24-hour darkness and no money, you know. Yeah. And she was just like, yeah, it is really nice. Like, this is amazing. Like, we can just, like, travel with this now. It's going to be super fun. I said, okay, no, time to go home on the rental. Not in the rental, I was going to buy it. Like, it wasn't yeah. even mine, it was a test drive. So I drive down this valley, and, like, I've driven snowmobile very little before this, maybe, like, I don't know, <coughs> five, six times. Never been wealthy enough to own a snowmobile, so it's my first snowmobile, and this one is super heavy as well, and don't know how to maneuver it. We start going down the top part, and it's, like, 30, 40, 50 kilometers an hour, and 70, 80 kilometers an hour and I'm just like I can't there's no stopping and I'm braking pumping the brakes nothing is working and trying to lock up the brakes nothing is working just keep accelerating and look ahead and you go into like a big pile of rocks if you crash in this area yeah and eventually I realize I'm gonna crash into these rocks going very fast and I look at one rock and I think I'm gonna hit this rock and I can choose this is my only choice I can either choose to hit the rock straight on Like in the center of the snowmobile, take the most impact at like 70 kilometers an hour by then. I'm just like, and the rock is the size of like a dinner table, you know? Yeah. It's not a pleasant rock to hit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like going to fuck up your ski, like yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. fuck up your life. Yeah. And I'd, or you can hit it to the left a little bit and just like get catapulted off the th the sled for sure just like into a load of rocks yeah so i decide i'm gonna just <laughs> straighten up like only decision i made like erkler was not stoked on the back already i remember <laughs> it's like a small bit of panic you know just like <laughs> you know like it's happening and just hit this thing and it was amazing like it was like defied gravity like completely and as it ran into the rock and hit the rock i didn't like take off in a like a in a regular trajectory i just went up like directly up and just like the whole machine just like jumped like three meters in the air or something and then just straight back down like it was like all the force and impact or something was just like taken out into the front and we were like thrown off and she was like smashed into the back of my head and you know it wasn't very 
pleasant to have the crash, but I didn't like hurt myself at all. It was like absolutely stuffed full of adrenaline. Yeah. Like get back on the snowmobile. The snowmobile still works, so we just drive away. And the snowmobile looks all right. I'm like, fucking hell, this machine is like insane. How lucky and is that? Just like go back to park the test snowmobile I'm just about to buy, but I obviously just crashed it like super bad. And it's pitch black by the time I get back. And I look under the snowmobile and I see this like gouge out of the middle of the snowmobile, like just in the plastic. And I was just like, okay, so it's not that badly damaged, but it's a bit damaged, but I feel like really obliged to buy it. Because yeah. I just fucked it up. So I buy it. And then I realized the next time I buy it, I'm like, and it's like working super good. Like, I love this machine. And then I try and like go on a mission and I turn like left and I can turn left like 20% and I can turn right like 80%. So I can go like in donuts going right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like happen. But if I want to make a left hand turn, I've got to start really thinking about it a long time before. So my and that snowboard I had for like four years. And you never fixed it? No. <laughs> I just bought new ones. <laughs> so how how was your girlfriend after that? Was she sold on it? No. Was she sold on She no. wasn't stoked about she was sold on Swab and she was sold on the light. But I think like Ertler will also agree the amount of times that I have rolled a snowmobile onto her is unacceptable. Oh, really? Yeah, like we're driving together and all of a sudden I make some dumb decision like I'm going to drive up this mountain and I completely mistime everything and then just roll the snowmobile and roll it all like on her or trap her underneath or something. It's happened like maybe five, six times. (laughs) (laughs) Women that go out with men like us. I had had this jet ski ride with my ex-girlfriend and I was all set up for offshore fishing and she would never go out with me. And every weekend I was like, or every day she had free, I was like, come on, come out with me. And she's like, okay, I'll go out with you tomorrow. So I finally convinced her to come out with me, right? I'm like, all right, we'll go out fishing. I'll show you the jet skis are fine. Nothing to be scared of. The day that she decides that she's free to go out on is like the worst possible day. There's big swells. There's crazy wind. It's just like one of those stormy, windy days. And I was like, well, we'll just launch it. We'll just go out to the reef a bit, have a little fish. It'll be okay. She jumps on the back and we're in this crazy weather. And we start heading out the river mouth, out to the ocean. And the seas pick up. Everything's just wild. And so she's frozen with fear. And I'm like, come on, it's all right. You know, trying to convince her it's a good time. Like, look, the the jet ski's safe. It's all fun. And then (laughs) we get out to the reef. And then I was like, oh, look, you just cast the rod out. And like I cast the rod out and I was like, now here, hold it. Now you hold it. And then, um, and I was like, so then I handed the rod and the jet ski is like, I've, I've got it shut off. But we start getting dragged into the reef. Like we start just floating into the reef. Normally when that happens, you know, you start the engine, bring it off. But as, so I said to her, you got to wind, wind the rod in. And she's like, how do I do that? And I was like, just wind the rod in, like wind it in. And as we did that, this wave kind of like a bit of a swell hit us and started spinning us. So it spun us around the actual fishing line. So by that stage, I can't start the engine because it'll suck up the fishing line because the fishing line's around the jet ski at the bottom. So I'm like, all you got to do is reel it in. So then I'm like, oh, babe, you really got to reel it in. Like just start reeling. And she's like, 
And she's like, I don't know how. And I was like, just grab that handle and start reeling it. And by this stage, the, the, I see this set coming, this big wave. And this wave hits us and starts pushing us towards the reef. And I'm like, babe, I can't start the engine. You've got to reel it in, reel it in. And she's like, and she starts panicking. And so I'm like, ah, give it here. And I had to jump off, start like trying to reel the jets, like reel the fishing rod in. Next thing, this other wave hits us. And I'm like panicking. She's frozen with fear by this stage. So she hasn't even moved. She's just sitting there just like frozen. And I've had to reel it in just before we get into like dry reef. I jump on, get the engine started. Then I have to punch through all these waves. By this stage, she's like, she's frozen with fear. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll take you back into the river mouth. It's okay, it's okay. So I've got the fishing rods on the fishing holders on the back because they have like trawling rods on the back of the jet ski. And I'm like, no, come on, I'll, I'll show you. If I get you down into the river, I'll show you. It's a fun time and the jet ski is nothing to be scared of because the whole thing is I just want to convince her to be on the jet ski with me, you know? So it's a good time for both of us. And also to like show that I purchased it for you know like because they're never happy with you when you make those big purchases <laughs> and so then i'm like i'll take you down to the river but to go down the river you had to go under this like little walking bridge that went over this creek and so we're just going under and i'm like look we get to go under the bridge and i've got a bit of speed on as we're going down this river and i forget that the two really expensive fishing rods i just bought are in the trawler <laughs> in the trawler holders like sticking up at the back of the jet ski so i just drive under this bridge forget about the fishing rods that are sticking up and i just hear this like snap snap <laughs> and I turn around and i've snapped both fishing rods that were really expensive in half <laughs> and she's just like take me back to <laughs> Just like, take me back to the boat ramp. You want to show her no more survival fishing? <laughs> you can fish without a rod. Oh, I should never come camping with me. I don't think anyone would. That camping that you just sent me out to, that was um, that was extreme, man. Especially with that storm coming in. So you said to me, go out. There's, a weather, there's bad weather coming, coming in. Go out. Build a snow cave. You didn't really tell me how to build one, but I told you I'd watch YouTube videos. You did give me some pointers. And I, had previously... I made a small diagram, and you were unhappy yeah. with the size of the tunnel. You it's too, <laughs> yeah, you told me it's too tight. You told me to tunnel down into and build a snow cave and like have like a tunnel. And I was like, I, and I get it, and that's what I should have done. That's what I should have done. But it's like otherwise you're just sleeping in like a balcony. Yeah, I kind of get it. <laughs> but you set me out, and so I'm like, all right. And you, you said you said about two o'clock bad weather's coming in, so I set out about midday and i already knew i should have set out at nine or ten o'clock and it took me two or three hours just to get up the mountain and i could see the clouds coming in and so i got up the top of this mountain and i found the mound that i wanted to that i thought would be like right to dig a snow cave in and i started digging as soon as i started digging i felt raindrops i felt the wind picking up and i was just and this is one of those moments where you having the knowledge with that area probably know that you're fine i didn't know if i was going to be fine or not so that adrenaline picks up I start just just digging my ass off. Like those things, that was took me about three hours to dig. So basically what I did is I dug a trench and then I tunneled down into the trench, into an embankment and made like a sleeping well. You need to find like a flat wall. Yeah. And if you find a really flat wall, then you can just start. You're almost just beginning. You know, but if you find a wall that has a an angle like a 30 degree angle or something then you've got to remove all that stuff first yeah 
and then actually start going into your cave. Yeah. You know, unless you build a really small little entrance, a really tunnel in there. I think it's like, that's probably the most efficient way to do it. Yeah. Just find a flat wall. They're scary. I suppose it's something you've got to get used to, but the, for one thing, it's like, yeah, for me, I was, I was nervous about the integrity of it. Especially like when I was digging it out, I was, I was using the saw as well. You gave me a handsaw to d- help dig out. And like I was putting the handsaw into the roof at times. Yeah. And so then I was worried about the integrity of the roof because I had cuts up in it. You'd After, be amazed. You'd be amazed. Like I told you, find a wind-packed patch. Yeah. It's not obviously an avalanche danger. And you will find that snow is very connected and stable. And, you know, it's... It's not the same. You can't build a snow cave in powder. Yeah. You, good luck. Go build a snow cave in Japan. You would die. No chance. But in, in like terrible places like this, <laughs> where you just have wind-blown, harsh snow, variable conditions, heating, cooling, heating, cooling. The last thing this place is good for, really, is snowboarding. But the best thing, the thing it's great for, is uh, building igloos. <laughs> connected snow in it. I don't understand why so I built the cave and for one I felt really claustrophobic because you're in this hole <laughs> I was really surprised at the how protected you are there was a crazy storm outside you were so time. protected you, I mean imagine if you're in a tent which is the usual in the wild a tent has become really like normal a tent is a word that everybody knows almost in the whole world you know, but how shit a tent is sometimes is absolutely incredible. Of course, I know like the best tents in the world that withstand South Pole, North Pole adventures or whatever, or crossings. Or, but, you know, in a snow cave, it's like, that's a luxury situation, man. Like, if you can get over the claustrophobia or the fact that there might collapse, you know, if you haven't built it right or, you know, then you build it right. Yeah. And it's just wonderful. It's... How much thicker is the wall of a snow cave than a tent? It's a big number. Yeah. I was surprised. Like, I did, I did an Instagram story with that whole adventure. And so it's on my Instagram, under my Instagram highlights. But I was so surprised. Like, if you look at those stories that I go outside and the wind and the, is that loud? It's like that loud you can't even think tunneling past you can't even walk through it like it'll just blow you over and as soon, as soon as I go down into the cave you can't even hear it no it's just like it's insulated yeah it's wonderful yeah. insulated and isolated it's great I don't understand why they suction in and so you told me that they will sink on you that they sunk kind of like with heat yeah right if you have a lot of heat in there then, then they will like sometimes you wake up with a snowflake cave that you built like 50 centimeters above your head and then like it's gravity you know the snow is weight is it's it's weight and the snow is slowly compressing and it's compressing on itself and if you have like warming outside or even if you don't have warming the snow will compress that cave that i built up there how long will that take for it to disappear oh till the spring water so it'll be there for a while not with the same integrity, with the same size. Yeah, exactly. It, it would just shrink slowly. Because I reckon it dropped about 200 mil maybe overnight. 
Yeah, well, but it might be gone quicker depending on how warm it is. But I'd say you will see evidence of it in yeah. the, till summer or like until it melts. So this main, the whole main challenge and the whole reason about crossing these mountains was I planned to do three days across the mountains, so two nights. So this is the question I was going to ask you. So I've already built one snow cave, which is on the trek, right? Yeah. And so when I do the trek, I'm going to have to trek in, build a snow cave, trek again over those that next mountain ridge, down the valley, up the next ridge, and that's around where that snow cave is that I just built. Would I be able to, like, if that's in a week's time or two weeks' time, do you reckon I'll be able to find that and re-dig it out? Sure. Yeah, it'll be much quicker. Much quicker. That was, that was the thing. That was like kind of why, like, I picked that spot. I was like, "This is on my route. Like, maybe I can use this on the final challenge." But it's like, except you sh- took a shit in it. <laughs> <laughs> but you can always shovel the shit out. Well, you told me that was. A, I thought you were having me on. I thought you were having me on. That was like the last thing you said to me when I walked out the door. You're like, "Don't forget a shit in the snow cave." You're like, I was like, what? You're like, yeah, that's kind of like, what did you say, actually? What was the saying? It's not really a saying. You know, it's just like, it's yours. You build it. So it's like... Yeah, it's like marking your territory. And then I thought you were like pulling my leg, right? And so I got up in the morning and I made my hot chocolate and I had a bit of coffee in it and I had something to eat and I got everything ready to go. And yeah, the bowels started moving and I, I walked out of the snow cave because I was getting everything ready and I was like, oh, I'm going to go like, you know, just dig a hole somewhere. And as soon as I walked out, the coldness and that wind and everything, I was like, oh, I can't go out here. <laughs> like, of course I'm going to go in the snow cave. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, he wasn't pulling my leg. It's That's the most plausible area to go. It's multifunctional. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, things are only the definition of which you name it. Like, maybe you, you weren't digging a snow cave, you were digging a toilet. Yeah. That's, that's the entrepreneurial. Did you that did got. you sleep in a toilet, <laughs> <laughs> or did you shit in your snow cave? Yeah, uh, shit in my snow cave. Yeah. What's uh, the wildest adventure you've ever been on? Like this is okay. You how many years have you spent up in the Arctic in these know, climates? Best part of last nine years, I guess. Yeah. What's the wildest adventure you've been on? Like you've got you've got every. It's like such a common factor in your life to have this weather to deal with, to have this harsh climate, to have these mountains, to have polar bears, to have all these risk factors within your life. Like, is, how often does it get too real? I don't know. A lot of the time I'm gripped, but it's because I'm a pussy, really. But sometimes, like, you're, you're just gripped, like... The whole time. What do you mean by grit? Like, friggin' like, you just don't want to be in that situation. There's no way to turn back, really. You have to, like, say if you're climbing the mountain and you're, I never ever climb with any ropes. I don't know how to climb, like, properly, really. But climbing a lot with double ice axes and crampons for snowboarding and you end up, like, in a position where it's really steep and slippery and it's you want to get up you know but you can't 
and you try to go a different route and you start to slide and then you stop yourself and you think you know and then you have adrenaline and you're thinking like you know, I just don't want to be here I don't want to be here I don't want to be here yeah like it's like it's like basically if like you just I don't know for me it's the same thing getting out into the back of a lineup or something or paddling out and it's just it's just way too big you're surfing yeah. yeah it's just way too big and you just see that it's way too big and you just start getting eaten and you just start going towards the rocks and you just have to like start swimming and you yeah. don't, you don't know what's happening really out of your comfort zone yeah I mean there's been I mean absolutely absolutely countless situations of this happening I slid down the mountain yesterday Sure. That last phase, I, I slid about two hundred meters. I just couldn't get anything to grip. I got a GPS log of it. <laughs> yeah, this, the, this, the, the difficult situations, you know. I think there's some adventures that you succeed and some that you don't, and you can be equally scared on both of these things. Yeah, like I think the two obvious ones for me that stand out is, well, maybe three, like. When you just like, I went to Hornsund Tint as a an idea with some friends, most southern fjord of Svalbard. Hornsund Tint is a mountain in it. Hornsund is the fjord itself, and we decide to go on a boat that is not suitable for open ocean, like a Buster Magnum. It's not suitable for open ocean, and it's like an open boat with like a top you know sh like soft top on it and we just go out on open ocean and just start going and it's kind of fine it's good weather you know but you're just really going after this mountain like 200 kilometers south of the nearest town or the nearest safety in a way and you start heading out of the fjord and you go into the open sea and you're just going and you're just like it's wearing survival suits have have you have you told like when you're doing these trips have you got a safety log like like with you like i told you my trip we marked kind of semi locations we gave times i checked in no 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 with you no no, you, no you just go with friends you're going with friends so that's your safety net is the friends so like yeah you i mean yeah i mean no 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 i mean of course people know you've gone your girlfriend knows you've gone other people knows you've gone so you go yeah, but you're not checking in with search and rescue. You're just no, like, no, yeah, no, no, just no. Do it. Yeah. <clears throat> and but you always take a sat phone with you and an emergency beacon. And like for a lot of that drive down there, driving super fast, because my friend he drives uncomfortably fast, but he likes it, and I don't like it. But he owns the boat, so I can't say shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like fuck this. You know, just when you feel this boat, you know, you have like you think to yourself, I'm like at seventy-seven degrees north. The ocean is cold. If I fall out of the boat, I've got, you know, I don't know, 12 hours in this suit. I'm a floating guy in the middle of the ocean and I can pull, I can pull an emergency beacon. So what are you, are you wearing wetsuits when you're out on these boats? No, no, dry suits, like dry full, suit. just emergency suits. Yeah. So you just have a survival suit on. Yeah. And it has like neoprene gloves on it and it's like pretty dry. Yeah. It's like pretty much next to a dry suit and it has like a big hood and shit. These orange suits, you know. So they'll give you 12 hours in the ocean. I don't know, probably maybe even more, but it depends what you're wearing underneath the suit as well. Yeah. It's not that insulated, I think. Yeah, right. And you just go in like this and then that mission, go down there, arrive in the fjord and it's just like, 
amazing you know like you arrive you've been driving already for six seven hours and you just start put all of your gear on and start split boarding and start split boarding with pulka because you have cameras and all this stuff like a sled behind you yeah go into the mountain and you're wasting so much energy dragging that sled and your friends are there and you want to ski this mountain it's like i don't know like a 11 kilometer approach to the bottom of the mountain then you've got to start hiking the mountain so would you leave the pulka that you the sled that you drag and would you leave that at the bottom of the mountain yeah but you have to drag it up a couple of glaciers like first yeah so like would you drag it up to where your camping area would be we didn't take a tent okay yeah <laughs> which is super dumb yeah. I t- it's one of the only times ever that I took an emergency survival shelter out and it's beautiful weather but I've been up for so many hours and we're trying to climb this mountain like I don't know 36 hours in or something I'm just like I just told these guys my two friends just like you guys climb the mountain I'm not going to climb the mountain I'm going to stay here I wait for you to come down the mountain like, yeah, right. I'm going to stay here. So you've just been climbing for 36 hours. Just awake and just oh, moving awake. and going. Yeah. And it's 24 hour light there. Yeah. It's just 24 hour light. It's beautiful. No, you don't get these beautiful days. And just, I was just finished like at the end of this. And I just got in the emergency shelter thing I had and just waited for them to come down. Like a couple hours later, they came back. They didn't summit the mountain. They went up not that much further than, well, I don't know how far they went, but... I, Definitely into some terrain that I wouldn't want to go into. It wasn't much further than we wanted. I wanted, like, it was... Sh- and then you had to walk the 11 kilometers back to the boat. You oh know, and, and get back down. And this is walking through snow? Or ice? Yeah, it's splitboarding, take the splitboard. Yeah. And the whole point was to snowboard this mountain, but clearly that mountain was like a couple-day approach. Like, something smarter should have been done but it's the best feeling in your in the life when you get back to the boat and you just know you're safe and you just sleep on this like shitty boat that you can't even sleep four people on. You know you're sleeping on top of each other the whole time. Yeah. Because it's so small in that boat. And then you drive back and it's the worst, worst open ocean you've been in. You're like jumping the fucking boat and you just want to get back. And so you'd pull into a fjord and instead you find like a research station that's just made completely out of wood like a little cabin and you just party there for two days (laughs) (laughs) and then like go back to town you know yeah this is a mission that works out (laughs) this is a raw adventure it's fun you know and it's and like so much fun yeah so much fun just really being like knowing really exactly where the limit is where you want to you know, it's just like, I have no more to give. Yeah. I haven't finished. And you're just like, I don't know, you feel good about this. Drink a lot as well. Yeah. Whole time. I got, um, I got pushed to my limit yesterday at the top of that mountain. When that wind picked up, I had like, I don't know, I had like 30 more meters to go. And the wind literally just kept knocking me down. There were gusts that were coming. And as they would come down this mountain gully, they would just hit me and literally just knock me to the ground. And I was on such a steep slope and such an icy, like icy, icy terrain. And I had that backpack, especially with the split board strapped to your back, was so heavy. And I had the pickaxe and the spikes on my feet. And I literally had to get into mongrel mode 
like I don't know I had to get like the inner anger like the ego had to really come out if you know what I mean like I like just had like this fuck you wind kind of attitude and I literally started screaming like roaring like ah fuck you like and started like pickaxing at the ice and like there was this rock I was looking at that was like up to my left probably only about 20 meters away or maybe 30 meters but when you're on such a gradient like that it's like you know it takes you so so long to get to that and I literally just gave everything that I had and it was like when I got there and I got behind that rock and everything and then like just to have a break it was like weird it was weird just a sense of accomplishment that I had after pushing myself so hard mm-hmm. you know what I mean like actually being pushed to my limits so much like that 30 meters hike that I had to do in that last bit is one of the hardest things I've had to do in my life like because I had I was getting so much thrown at me at once and I just had to do it yeah you know and like when I got there actually the next part that I summited after that that's when the weather got too bad and I actually had to the wind got so bad that I had to lay on the on the on the snow and like just let it go over me in gusts and I was just like, okay, that's it. I'm not going over this next peak. I'm just going to turn back. And I didn't feel beaten at all because I was just scouting that route. But it was like, when I got back and then I snowboarded down that mountain and I got back to the car. Actually, when I got snowboarded down and I got to the bottom, I had about an 800 meter walk to get to the car. And that whole time, I didn't stop laughing. I didn't stop. Like I was just, I was on top of the world. And it was because of how much I just pushed myself. And how much I just got to push to my limit. And it was just this insane feeling coming off that. Yeah, I understand it. People don't understand, like you say, like at home, the weather, the scale, or the, how things are in these cold places. And the feeling that you just told me that you had about uh, when you wake up in your car and you're you're living in a, a van basically and the view you have from the the van is this mountain and it's a beautiful mountain and uh, it's relatively big or you know it's it's prominent it's there in front of you yeah. and you say that you're laughing when you s- see it you know because you're kind of it's laughing out of joy in a way like laughing out of disbelief that the mountain exists there yeah and this is like a, a very familiar feeling for me like exactly at the beginning when I come to Svalbard and when I'm like living in this little barrack in this little room and I would open the curtains of the room at like four o'clock in the morning and look out and I see this strip of symmetrical mountains just very aligned in its uh, fractal composition this very beautiful thing and funny thing in the snow in the cold when it's really cold uh, it takes all the moisture out of the air so the mountains almost like when it's very cold seem like they're HD you know yeah. and I was just laughing yeah they don't like, seem real no it's, it's just like, like is that painted on is that really there yeah it seems very um, superimposed yeah I think it's and I had exactly the same like because I'm not from this place. I didn't. I did not like grow up here or whatever. And it was funny that immediate sense of home to being in a place like this, just because it really made you happy. Like it was much better idea to 
live in a beautiful place doing a shitty job than do a good job living in a shitty place. Yeah. Like, and eventually you find like a job that you want to do. Yeah. You know. Well, it's all going to start somewhere and it's like, it's a paving that way. You know, sure. it's paving that way. And it's like, these, as you, that was what first drew me to these mountains. The thing is, these mountains here, I, I've said this before, but they have to be respected. It's like they deserve respect. It's like these mountains and this terrain, it's just, you're out there when you're in the mountains and you can just feel, you can just tell how powerful they are, that they can just swallow you at any moment. And it's like, that for me, it's like, I've had this feeling a few times in my life. One was when I was sailing across the Malacca Strait and it was all like six days, we hadn't seen six days without seeing land. I was in the, we were in the middle of the ocean and you just feel so tiny, you feel like nothing. And you just realize mother nature can swallow you at any moment. But for some reason, this is such an empowering feeling and I don't really understand why. And then I've had this feeling in British Columbia in Canada with the forest around me with the trees being so big. And then I had this feeling here, like being so, these mountains being so big and powerful around you and the roar of the wind going around them. It's like, it just makes you feel like nothing. Like last night when I was in that snow cave, every little roar from the wind, I'm like, is that an avalanche or anything? I just know that at any moment, this place, if it chooses to, can just take you. I mean, this is the point of all of this. You're hypersensitive and you're connected to nature and you're making decisions for yourself. Very, very rare that in regular society that you're going to not die. Well, I think that's, that's the thing out here with the power of the mountains that at any moment you could die. <laughs> it's like... What I... There was another thing last night that got stuck in my head. And that was when I talked to the historian last week. Mm -hmm. And he was talking to me about the tales from this area. And he was talking about... <laughs> I can hear that pen. No, but he was talking about that um, the elves. That it's actually funny. Like, So when you go to these mountain ranges to the south, there's trolls. There's a couple of big caves that have trolls that live in them like folklore. And then on this side, on the route that I'm actually taking, there's three churches of elves. Like he, he used the word church. He was like, that's an elf church. And for some reason I felt him, it was the term he was using for community. And that was actually, so it's not anything that I've, actually, I think I would just believe in anything, but he was talking to me about the, the folklore here that, that you, the Icelandic still believe so strong in elves and that they need to be respected and they can curse you if you don't respect them. So it's like I was in that snow cave last night and I'm listening to the roar of these mountains and I'm listening for avalanches and then in the back of my mind I'm like, hopefully I don't piss off any elves. <laughs> sure, the elves are serious, man. Yeah. But it's like, do you, do you feel that when you're out here? Do you feel that intensity of these mountains or is it just something you're used to? No, 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 sure. Like, of course you feel the intensity of the mountains. And more so if you live in Iceland, I think you begin to more understand why they think there's elves there or why they think there's trolls there. These atmospheres that are created in these places. 
you know, creepy places or be overly beautiful places as well. Yeah. And there's, I've never seen anything like this on Earth. I've never experienced a climate like this. And I don't mean the cold, I mean the weather. I've never experienced something so harsh. Something that just like, like li literally, like I cannot get over the harshness of the environment here. Do you want to know something actually funny? With, okay, there's, there's lots of ways to make money in Iceland, right? Yeah. It's something that the, something that the car hire companies do really well in is door damage. Sure. And the reason why is that tourists come over here and just go to open a door and the wind is that strong. <laughs> You're like, you can't hold it. Like when the wind's, like I'm so cautious of it now, but it's actually like those, the wind will pick up that door and just smash it forward and break those back, brackets. But it normally da damages the front panel. And it just happened to friends of ours and it cost them 6,000 euros. Sick. That's how much they charged him. <laughs> and I was like, and they're like, it's a common thing. It's like, it just, yeah. We got charged. I'm super happy to say this live. There's these people in Keflavik that have a motorhome company. And there's a different company that we rented the thing from. And the insurance policy was exactly like this. And we had a very small dent in the side of the, uh, camper but they made us replace the whole side and charge us 3,500 euros the only thing I wanted to do was pay kids from Keflavik to go to slash all the tires every single morning <laughs> and I thought I couldn't do that so instead I thought hmm I'm going to call every single reseller of this company and tell them how unethical they are and tell them to stop working with them and choose a different motorhome company and I thought that that was good to just like slowly starve them. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I, I, I just wanted to punch them in the face. <laughs> but I'm, a, I'm super bad puncher. You know? How is it when you're getting done, you know you're getting scammed and you just like, and you have to pay when they've got you in a corner and you're just like... One time I went over the Cambodian border, you know, and got scammed and got put into a room with five people. What? Okay, wait, wait. What happened? It's, it's not th that interesting in a way. Like I tried to go, like I go from Thailand to Cambodia. Yeah. I go over the border, but I want to go at this specific place and they say they're going to pick you up with a tuk-tuk with a co correct sticker or something. And this guy comes and they, uh, he's from the right company, but he's kind of rushing you and you go. And all of a sudden you're walking in a line towards like a local border crossing or something. It's not like a tourist border crossing. And then all of a sudden you just get ushered into a room and then you're sitting there with six guys that don't, or five guys that don't look like uh, border officials who say that it's, you know, it's $100 to get your shit stamped here instead of the $25 it should be or whatever. And you just look at these six guys and think, um, I don't stand a chance against these six guys. I don't stand a chance against one of these guys. Yeah. So... I better pay $100. So you pay $100, you go across the border and you have a real bitter feeling entering Cambodia, you know? Yeah. And you feel scared, you know, in these situations. And you look at the the girlfriend you're traveling with and think, this is really shit. Like, why are we... Yeah. Why are we in this situation? It, it wrecks those experiences for you, hey? I've got to say that I've had the complete opposite experience here in Iceland. I cannot get over... 
the generosity of people and how nice everyone is and welcoming. Like, I don't know if you share that same experience, but it's like, well, actually, you were part of that experience. You've helped me out with everything. But it's like everyone that's like Cuckoo Campers has helped me out with that van. Haydar's helped me out with all, all my clothes. Like, everyone's just like, my mate Robert gives me a place to stay. He's like, come around, do all your laundry, just whatever you need. Come have a home-cooked meal, you know? Does Robert do laundry? Nah. <laughs> I don't know. He probably does his own. <laughs> now, there's a laundry machine there, man. It's, he's a legend. It's so fun staying with him. But, um... Oh, yeah, man. That was pretty fun, smoking that joint just before. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but the point of what I was trying to get at before we uh, made it for the break was like when you realize your own responsibility and you are out there with everything that you need to live in a way yeah. or you have to live off what you have out there. This, this is an equal feeling that if you are addicted to cigarettes or you're addicted to alcohol or if you're addicted to anything... This is the same feeling I feel to get to this point of being completely self-sufficient out there. It's so addictive yeah. that you actually feel like you are worth something in the atmosphere in a way. Because yeah. you, know, you know you're not rich. You know you're not going to you know, make any impact on the world and you're just living on this planet. Makes but you feel in, alive. but yeah, you make you're much more, and that's another cliche. But it makes you feel much more alive, and it's in alive in a many different ways. It's not just ecstatic or just yeah. like euphoric. I wonder what it. I, I often wonder what it is for me. Like, I know I know one of the big pictures is the lessons that it it teaches me. But it's like I often wonder. I keep going deeper and deeper into challenges, and I'm like. Is it like because I just want to know my limit? I like to, I like to be in my limit. It's like when I run. I've said this before, but when I run, I play this game with myself. It's called the game of achievement. And so if I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I want to go for a surf today and I want to go to the gym or I want to go for a run, right? Yeah. It's like I've set those goals for myself. Now the game is is to do those goals because then I'm left in a state of achievement where if I go for a surf and then I'm bugging, I'm sitting at home and I'm like, fuck i'm just gonna have a beer and then i'm like oh no i said i want to stay in the state of achievement and the, to stay in that means i have to go for a run sure and then i'm like fuck i'll go for a run and then when i run it's like i run till i'm done and then i say to myself okay that's halfway because it's like i know how to run what i already just did i know i can do that but i don't know that i can do double that distance for some reason i'm always trying to find out what i can't do or like what i can do but I also find that that's where all the learning is. It's like people say to me, like, why did you come to Iceland to surf? Why did you come to the Arctic to climb, like, to go hiking or climb mountains? And I'm like, well, because I know what it's like to be warm. It's like I've experienced that. And so to go to these things in the mountains, like, it's like, okay, so the mountains is something that you know and you've learned. And, like, we're talking about the ocean that that's where you're out of your comfort zone it's like here i'm so out of my comfort zone so when i'm in that environment i'm like i'm so i'm so lost within it and so what it does it heightens my senses and it gives me this challenge right and so it's like i question everything can i do this can i do this 
and going out there and doing that it's like what you're saying before it makes you responsible you're out there f- with your own life and this is what i find i find it's a domino effect through everything throughout your life and so i go out and i push myself in the mountains here right and i get to that point where i'm left with my mind where only i can do it right and i th- i wonder if that if this is a feeling i'm addicted to or it's the feeling that I just love that self-growth. I love that feeling of like, yeah, I can do it. But what I find, it's a domino effect throughout my whole life. So it's like when I go out and I put myself in that situation where it's only me that can do it. It's like I've set myself a goal. It's only I can get through it. I'm up on that mountain. The only person that's going to get me off that mountain is me. Right? And so what that is is 100% responsibility. And so I find that when you learn that out there, you learn that through every part of your life and uh, you learn it with relationships with jobs with every you realize it's like i find too many people get stuck in this thought that someone else is going to make them happy that well, someone I'm, else I'm, is on the thought of happiness because you say about it and you talk about doing everything alone yeah i don't do things alone anymore or like you know pretty much and i think that the the, the phrase or the quote or whatever that happiness is not real unless it's shared is very true and you can share it in a way because you capture it and you can relive it and also you can share it after yeah but you're alone doing it and that is a challenge doing it but like to be completely alone to not have any connection to not have any thing and then something chaotic happen like you know you drown a jeep or something by yourself you're just alone if you were the friend you would just start laughing about it yeah you know and you'd be like fuck we're in a fucking shit situation you got someone to share that experience but by yourself you loathe yourself for this decision there's no one to relieve the pain or humor of it and i think this is what makes humans at least two people you know that need to balance each other somehow yeah in a way i find if you do these challenges with someone once you start getting really deep and into the harshness of it only if you're a really good match and a really good pair then it's fine but i find it easy for the it's an easy escape for the mind it's an easy escape for the mind to put blame on someone else like it's like their fault it's hard or like you know it's like your your mind when it bounces around and it looks for excuses so (coughs) once everything gets really hard it's trying to take the responsibility off the self this is what i find anyway so it's looking at someone and saying like oh their backpack's heavy like not as heavy as mine or they got the lighter or they're better at this or they're you know and it's like that's why i just find if you do it by yourself there's no excuses well you should stop blaming people when they're born yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, anything blame but that's the blame if you think about it blame really if you think about it it's one of the most useless things on the planet yeah nothing ever gets resolved with blame blame is like jealousy or it's like one of these sins it's like a it's not a positive thing at all yeah you know solution based things are very fun yeah i think it's interesting that you have uh interest in permaculture in australia i think that's very interesting and i have some interest in permaculture here in iceland which is very different that would be hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things aren't growing so much. But the idea of this is is nice, don't you think? Like yeah. to be able to uh, 
don't you think it'd be nice to give a pamphlet to somebody that was like a this is how you grow on this much land yeah and they know why do you think that knowledge is uh, safe it is so thin you know like before you answer that question I even have people come into here where we are growing some plants in the window some uh, herbs and things and salads and the first person said to me I said what are you growing food for ants because there was a clear disconnection whether he understood that that was actually like the full size of the plant but actually it was a seed just sprouting which was you know not even a, a centimeter long and he thought that was the full size of the plant and that's what i'm growing yeah i was like that's incredible like there is a disconnection between people who understand how a uh, a plant grows over a period of time and the relative time in which it takes for a plant to grow and that is what is really difficult about permaculture is knowing the schedule in which you have to follow I think to actually grow the right amount of food a balanced diet in this amount of time is very scheduled I think yeah. you can't just randomly friggin grow shit otherwise you have to have a ton of fucking land yeah, yeah, yeah. and a lot of good climate do you reckon um I find being out in these mountains bring you back to that to that connection of things. Do you find that being out in the mountains is something that's made you grow? Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, many of my harshest lessons are in the mountains or around mountains or most of my best moments in life are around mountains or in the mountains. When you're with friends out there and doing stupid things or having fun or whatever... Yeah. Like seeing the solar eclipse in the mountains on a glacier, minus 25. A lot of people know this movie, but to witness like a solar eclipse in the mountains on white completely is just absolutely amazing. You know, to see the shimmering of the snow like underneath you and colors that don't exist on the planet because they're from the corona of the sun. And you see the whole sky goes purple in a very dark way for just two minutes. And you just like feel like you're transported to another planet. And you're like, poof. And you come back after two minutes and you're like howling like a, like a, you know, a dog or like a wild animal. Yeah. It's, it's very like... It's a real Of experience. course, these times in the mountains are absolutely incredible. Yeah. Like, and of course it shapes you. It makes you a different person. And I don't know how it makes you slower or faster or more appreciative or less appreciative or more dumbed down or more excited about extreme things but of course it shapes you and I don't think you know the shape of yourself unless you have clarity of mind to look back constantly yeah. very few people are looking back most people in present are looking future so it's like you should appreciate yourself and who you were before You know, that, that's like learning the now like learning to be in the now absolutely Last night, being in that snow cave, or not last night, the night before, being in that snow cave, just sitting there in that sleeping bag and taking it in, it's like still looking back on it as like, was that a dream? I was like, by a candlelight, I had a candle lit in there. So the cave was just like... But that's amazing. It's so amazing, these moments. You know, like when I talk about I have snow cave experience, I built like, I don't know, eight or nine snow caves. Four or five of those were like in my back garden. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, just like had so much snow dumping there and packing. I would just go and dig the cave. And then I'd learn everything like literally next to my house. Yeah, right. You know, because it was just like, and it's just like fun. And you just build this huge thing that exists and then you really see how it moves and goes. Yeah. How's I wondered that? I thought when you're like, oh, you should build a snow cave for a, for a practice. I literally thought we we're just going to go out and just build one just out here somewhere. Yeah. Like close to town. And then you're like, yeah, it's bad weather. This is the best time to train. Hike into the mountains and build a snow cave. And I'm like, damn, he's right. <laughs> I was just like, because I literally just thought I was going to, you know, go out, practice one. And I was like, fuck, I've actually got to do it. Because it's like, for me, I know I'm going to challenge myself. But I don't. It's like all the little challenges, that's cool to lead up to it. You yeah. don't want to push yourself too much. It's like I've already pushed myself as nearly as much as what I'm going to for the whole challenge. But I, it's like, I was like... I think your challenge is a good challenge. I think your challenge is a sensible challenge. I don't think it's... I don't think it's too much of a challenge, but it's wonderful for a different culture to be put out of their comfort zone. And I think that's what this is about in a way. I think this is what, like... We have this documentary TV series that is airing in China... And this is about basically like showing other cultures on the planet and how they live differently, whether it's in a shocking way or a nice, very loving way or whatever. And it's funny to see that the other side of the world pays so much money to want to see the different lifestyle of a different person in a different place in almost a completely normal way. Yeah. You know? And... For us to learn about each other in these ways. That's why like when I see you and I say like, yeah, he can clearly surf super hard waves and get a beating, so he must be fine doing this. I know he's fit. Yeah. I'm not worried about Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm worried. Did you think it was naive that I was coming to you and just like, no, I'm just going to walk through the mountains for the next three No, days. I said the same thing to you again about the Into the Wild guy. I really wish that guy had just like taken one less book of Thoreau and Jack London and just packed a, even a military survival guide if I don't even believe in the military just to pack us yeah. you know try and live off romance as much as you can but live off knowledge you know and practicality yeah better. well that was I, I knew that I had some training to do but I was thinking it was more fitness training and I thought it would just be like literally when you told me how fit you were I was like fuck no, like this guy's like three times as fit as me going jogging and running and gymming and all sorts of shit I was like holy yeah I've been wearing a white vest <laughs> <laughs> yeah I never wear a white vest man. but I should stop drinking beer <laughs> if I drink beer the next day I can I, I can literally run half as much it like literally cuts me cuts my um it's an incredible impairment yeah 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 it's wonderful yeah, just but yeah, it's like I've actually been really enjoying beer lately. It's just like my little treat. It's like getting off the mountain. I've been having lately. I've been enjoying beer for fifteen minutes. <laughs> but it's like I get off these mountains after a day of hiking and like checking the routes out that I'm I'm looking for, and I just you just grab a beer and you just put it in the snow. Five minutes later, just bang, it's cold. Yeah, it's yeah. great. You don't have to have worry about uh, cooling problems here. Yeah, so. The whole thing is, is now we're waiting. 
pretty much got the route sorted. There's one bit that I'm really nervous about, and that's that last peak. One mountain range to get over because it's really steep. But basically, right now, we're looking for a good weather window for three days. Yeah. I reckon I can do it. I, I reckon I'll, I reckon I could smash it in two. Yeah, you could do it in one. You reckon? Yeah, if you fucking went for it. But I think it's... That would I, be I, I, live, as well. I live here in the mountains. I live here in this nature, in the fjord in the north of Iceland. Because I like, you know, the experience of this. Yeah. You know, like, why would you rush into it? I don't understand. This is what, I don't know if it's like a general term, but it's like second class fun. Yeah. In a way. You climb Everest, super horrible. You come home, you just tell everyone how great it was. <laughs> Yeah, super horrible. I think for the most part, it's super horrible. Maybe not everyone does that, but I really like going into the mountains. I could dig a snow cave for seven days out there and be living in palaces every night. Only have to hike like three kilometers a day. That'd be sick. Just like find another place, sunny, open the beers, start digging a snow cave. But it's the balance between like, yeah, the weather, but to know how to live in the weather is also good. I lived in many days of storm in a tent, just waiting three days until the weather got better. And then it gets better and you start doing things again. You know, this is, what you, if you go out for three days, you should pack food for five or six days. Yeah. I mean, you know this. So then you can just be comfortable. And I think that rushing over those mountains would be like a terrible shame. Yeah. Yeah. And also be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you definitely couldn't walk them in that time, but being able to hike up a peak and then s- strapping into a board, God, that took me forty minutes or whatever to like board down that mountain after like hours of hiking. Sure, it's great having a. That's why plastic. I, I that's where, that's where plastic is great. Yeah, yeah. You just smash down it. I can tell you two things, like or one of the two things, and then we have to finish. Okay. So I have to go home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, either how I got to a, th- like a, a three-star Michelin restaurant by accident, or wait, how you got what? To a three-star Michelin restaurant by accident, or uh, when I crash a snowmobile into a load of ice and water in the dark. You pick one. The no, ice no, and no. water one is more Icelandic, I suppose. Yeah. Was it in Iceland? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay. Ertla is living out at a radio base, uh, which has been turned into a luxury hotel. You know? And uh, this luxury hotel, it's run by a company called Basecamp Spitsbergen and it's at a place called Kaplune which is on the west coast of Svalbard and it's open to the the Barents Sea and you have to cross uh, Grönfjord, this uh, big fjord, a big patch of water to get across to this in the quickest way and you have to drive several valleys and over a couple of glaciers to get to this location. And 
in good conditions, it's fine. It takes three hours or something, and you're just driving in nature, and of course there's challenges, but it's fine. And this time there had been a warm system that came in, which was unusual. Obviously, it's like next to the North Pole, it's very unusual to get warm systems. And uh, the interesting thing was that when the wind came, there's a lot of wind, wind from the south, 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 south like wind from Spain or something had come to <laughs> the Arctic yeah. and it was really hammering and raining a lot but really windy like the wind, wind, wind and it was so warm it was great you could be outside in a t-shirt in a way in town but everything was melting and everything was melting and then we decided okay you wait one day before leaving and then we I left to go and from the main town of Svalbard to, to try and get to the radio base to see Erkler with a friend we were going to go and film a glacier and scout a glacier for a ski trip. And we started driving out, and it's like fine. And you're driving, but it's quite heavy snow. And you start to come across like a lot of water everywhere. And <coughs> you just, on a snowmobile, just go fast over the water. And you turn it into a jet ski, basically, and it just goes. And but you have to stay above like 70 or. You yeah. know, to stay on the water. Yeah, right. And you can just drive on water with a snowmobile. No problems. So we're just skipping in between patches, but it's loads of water. And then it's even more water than I've ever seen in this one fjord, Grönfjord. But it's like Gröndalen, like the valley. Yeah. There's so much water in there. Like I'm skipping over stuff all the time and it's not a problem. And we get up to one patch and we nearly actually be dumbasses and lose the snowmobiles on a big patch of ice that is scooting around up there and I'm feeling pretty uncomfortable with this time we're about halfway but then we see two snowmobiles and it's the base camp guides who are going to the radio base so we go and wait with them and I said what are you doing waiting and they're like oh we're checking the sea ice so, you know so they're checking the sea ice to see if you can cross all the way across the fjord because it saves like two hours or three hours yeah so the other guides are on the ice checking and they have clients and they have food a lot of food on the sleds super heavy sleds and yeah you just they're out there and doing this and whatever and they come back and yeah we can cross and I so we're in a group now with me and my friend and six other snowmobiles or something driving and I'm like driving at the back you know because I'm not leading anymore because I'm not following my GPS we're just going to the place they know the way they work there it's fine and eventually we come down like which get in some troubles like there's like water but we get out and you're just digging the snowmobile constantly out of fucking water and snow and shit and you get to the other side of the fjord you're on good land and you think okay we just drive the track now in snow to where we need to go and we drive and we come down like a regular hill on a regular route in a regular place where you go. And we drive out and everything suddenly goes black. All of the environment around you is black and you're just driving on black. And you're just like, this is super weird. And all of a sudden, like maybe like 400, 500 meters ahead of you, you just see, see like snowmobile lights starting to go up in the air everywhere. And you just like and you quickly realize and you look around you and you see all these shooting cracks like <laughs> like oh, all this shit. ice shattering like glass shattering. all this ice sh shattering and you just hear this and 
and all your reaction is just to grab the accelerator just to go faster to stay above the water and grab it and you hydroplane for a while but I have a sled so it's heavy and it's not going to stay up forever and you start coming towards all the other people and you know you're going to crash so you just let the accelerator out and you start to sink the snowmobile <gasps> and you kill the engine because you know that it's going to be f fine to restart the snowmobile in the water if the engine is not f the air filter doesn't get loads of water in it how, how deep are we talking under and it starts sinking and it's sinking and i get my legs wet and i get my knees wet and i get my ass wet and everything starts going under and then i get to like my hips and it stops the snowmobile is on like uh, another piece of ice or something underneath <gasps> and you don't know how like deep the whole situation is are you are you cold are you freezing well your legs are freezing because they're in water but i'm yeah. standing on the snowmobile seat so yeah. i'm like so i'm fine but is adrenaline kicked in obviously yeah something's kicked in and you're just like looking around and everyone is kind of panicking and not communicating it's like other people running around with head torches all over the place and things and it's completely pitch black it's completely night time. You know, we drive into this place. Yeah. So you have no idea what is going on. You have no idea what mountains are around you or any <gasps> reference points. Polar bears, shit. Yeah. You know, but they're not usually in that place, but it's like not great to think about them. And the first thing I do is just like, just shuffle on the ice and go on my stomach and just like push across the ice. And the ice is about two or three centimeters thick. And I just like push off and I just like, crawl like maybe 120 meters or something to the edge of this lake or what the fuck this thing is because it says it's land on the gps <laughs> you know mm. so you're wondering what the fuck this is and you crawl there and you do make a discussion plan with the other lead guides like hey let's get a tent let's get a, uh, a heater because i have these things on the sled why don't we do this and one guy has jumped in the water because he panicked and tried to start swimming even if it was only hip deep, he still jumped in and thought it was like super deep yeah. and tried to get out and, you know, panicked. So you are trying to provide a shelter for him and then we have to figure out what the, you know, try and get the snowmobiles out and then you have to get a rifle as well because everybody left the rifles on their snowmobile. <gasps> so we go back and get, I go back and get a rifle, I go back and get a tent, I go back and get a cooker and I bring everything on my snowboard across the ice because it spreads all the pressure of course and a gasoline can of kerosene so are you walking no i'm craw crawling on the ice and i'm like just pulling like a snowboard shit yeah 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 right with with all the stuff and i bring it to the side and i with with a 20 liter can of kerosene you know it's super heavy and yeah. you're trying to like maneuver this to not break the ice and you get to the edge and i start setting up the tent and the guy says well how long like how much wind can that tent take and i was like i don't know 15 meters per second it's like it's going to be about 60 meters per second here in like in like 20 minutes I'm like what didn't say that on the weather and he was just like yeah like super strong winds from the helicopter that's coming i was like why is the helicopter coming we've called a helicopter i was like oh no but we're never going to get the snowmobiles out there or freeze or there's we need to like and then the helicopter came the police came and they just pick us up and take us away and dump us in the town and just like don't give us any support it's like okay great so all of our snowmobiles are out there for three straight days 
<gasps> freezing into so, so so the the chopper comes mm-hmm. the helicopter comes what, what how do police get out there the police is the search and rescue oh so the police come on the helicopter pick you guys up and you've just got to leave the snowmobiles in the water yeah shit okay so you're back in town you're back in town you're trying to get back out there but the next two days are bad weather and then there's a the third day which is like okay weather and you go out there and it's like minus 19 or something and everything is frozen into about like 40 centimeters of ice <laughs> and you bring it you bring a chainsaw and you bring ice axes and you bring glacier pulley rescue systems to pull the machines out and a lot of wood to like build systems to pull the machines out like six people would go out there to go and get their shit out and it's just like break the chainsaw on the first sled we've got six sleds stuck in the shit break this just like fuck this have to start hacking with the ice axes like glacier axes the same one you're using to get these things out and hack 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 we were out there 17 hours like hacking these things out of the ice and using uh like z pulley system so like and one, what temperature are we talking one, like minus 19 minus 23 holy shit it's beautiful it's like pink skies and just blue skies yeah right no wind and we hacked them all out and then we put them on the side there after 17 hours all the snowmobiles and then came back another four days later with like rescue sleds for the snowmobiles and put them on these rescue sleds actually like the other fucking company took care of their shit and I had to go and get my shit with Atla and we'd go and fucking pick up this sled with my friend's sled and bring it back thaw it for like three days and just have to replace like a few relays and the thing starts again same machine like crashed really 7080 <laughs> no was it 2080 <laughs> this fucking shit machine oh my god that would be that'd be so funny coming out it's just frozen in the in the ice <laughs> there's so many things frozen in ice there but yeah yeah right that's all part of what, what was weird just before when you're talking about well the the next day the weather was bad the, the weather was bad for like three days it's like that's a co- constant thing here it's like that was something that the boys warned me about before coming here they're like just be aware that we might be sitting around for a week straight just waiting for the weather you know you know what i mean just waiting for the weather to clear or like we'll do a whole mission somewhere to try catch waves and the weather will just turn like that yeah like just be aware of that and I was like, but that's kind of the whole adventure. And that's the whole thing about Iceland. It's like, it's so crazy. But then when the heavens do open up, it's so beautiful. I have two women at home. One my girlfriend and one my girlfriend's friend. Yeah, yeah. And they say, they say that I should bring some Prosecco. What's that? That's Italian sparkling wine. I've seen the fridge somewhere. Uh, so I think it's time to... Finish this. Yeah, let's hit it. But I'm really uh, grateful to speak to you, Aaron. It's very nice to meet you. <laughs> I, no, genuinely. Yeah. I am. And the things that you're doing is great. Yeah. I think it's really great. And I think it's really fun to meet somebody that wants to explore their limits or to see what is out there. I think it's really a very small thing to do, a very powerful thing to do, and I don't think a lot of people do it. No. So I think it's great. The thing is, too, it's like, well, yeah, 
well, I, I can only do this because of you. <laughs> well, so equi- like equi- equipment, equipment just costs money. What you learn out there is knowledge. So. Yeah. Thanks, man. I definitely appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, my brother. <laughs> yeah, dude, right, let's get out of here. hope you guys like this episode now remember i've got prizes to give away for whoever shares it for me go on apple Podcasts, leave a rating leave a review subscribe put it on your social media story tell your mum. send me a message send me a screenshot or i'm just going to see it on apple Podcasts anyway or i'm going to see it on social media and every week i'm going to pick someone and i'm going to send them an opinal knife or a diaries of the wild ones t-shirt enjoy guys and thanks for listening I do it like a double.